Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to be talking about milk sharing and milk banks. If you couldn't breastfeed, would you look to give your baby human milk, formula, or something else? What are the risks and different options? If you have an oversupply, would you donate? Amber McCann is here to help us with these not-so-clear-cut questions. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by the first eight days of being a mom, a day-by-day manual on taking care of the new mom as well as her newborn. Get a 10% discount by going to thefirst8days.com slash birthful. That's with the number eight, thefirst8days.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. I am giddy to have Amber McCann on the show because Amber seems to bring happiness with her wherever she goes. She is an international board certified lactation consultant who fell into her line of work by accident. So after struggling with feeding her own kids and slogging through the grip of postpartum depression, she felt strongly that all that pain needed to be for good. She pursued what she initially suspected would be a lovely hobby and turned it into the career she never knew she wanted. She has provided guidance and support for a number of birth and breastfeeding organizations, including the Gold Conferences, Hygieia Breast Pumps, and Lactation Education Resources, as well as maintaining a busy private practice. Amber is a frequent guest blogger for popular websites such as The Leaky Boob and Best for Babes, as well as serving as an expert for Fit Pregnancy, New Parent Magazine, The Boob Group, and Science Science and Sensibility, which is the Lamaze International Official Blog. Her current gig is at ILCA, which is the International Lactation Consultant Association, where she works to market and promote breastfeeding and lactation consultant practice on a global scale. Amber, welcome! This is lovely. And... It's so funny because ILCA, so ILCA is the International Lactation Consultant. Why do we have such long acronyms in the birthing world? I I know. I know. (laughs) We really do. And, you know, it's funny um, because we have the International Lactation Consultant Association, which is the professional organization for lactation consultants. So think of the American Academy of Pediatrics that your, uh, uh-huh. that your, pedi- your pediatrician might be a part of. And then we also have a very similarly titled International Board of Lactation Consultant Examiners. So they have a very similar acronym, a very similar name, and they are the organization who certifies us, make sure that we have the skills uh, that we need to bring to the table for families. Uh, so the, <laughs> there is a lot of confusion. Then you add in um, country and regional-based groups, uh, and it's a lot of alphabet soup sometimes. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so everybody so just remember that. ILCA. <laughs> yep. uh, yes, 
Absolutely. I'm really um, pleased to be working for them. One of the things I love about the work that ILCA is doing is really trying to promote lactation consultants and the work we do all around the world. I was so fortunate a couple summers ago to get to travel to Papua New Guinea and work with breastfeeding families there. There are no IBCLCs or formally certified lactation professionals in the country. Um, and I was speaking with someone just yesterday um, who is from ILCA about how we can work together to provide that kind of skilled care in their country. So um, I, you know, obviously live in the United States and so I love for there to be great um, care for the mamas and families that I encounter here, but I get really excited when I think about the impact of skilled uh, lactation care all over the world. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> Keep me posted on that because I really I like will. Yeah. So talking about what we've got today is milk sharing, um, a topic that's both ancient and controversial, together with the more modern alternative, I guess, of the path of milk banking. Um, let's start by defining milk sharing. What does that mean? And what are what are the different ways of doing it? So we use the term milk sharing or peer-to-peer -peer milk sharing, or you might sometimes hear the term informal milk sharing, which is not my favorite because I don't feel like anyone who's participating in this is really doing it in an informal or flippant way. But um, when we use the term milk sharing, what we mean is one family has more milk than their child needs. And so likely that is uh, mom has been pumping and she's been putting it in the freezer and she comes to a point where she realizes, I'm not going to use all this milk. What do I do with it? Um, and she reaches out in some way, be that in person, on the telephone, online, through friends or in her community to find another family who is in need of milk. And then uh, there are various steps in the process based on the families involved, but the family that has more milk than they need gives the milk directly to the family who is in need. So when we talk about milk sharing, we're intrinsically saying that the milk is, quote, raw or unprocessed. It's not pasteurized in any way. It's going directly from being pumped by one mom uh, to being given to the other family. Mm-hmm. And so let's get the big elephant out of the room, because I think at this point where we are in our very hygienic and, and individualized lives, many mamas out there might be thinking gross or feeling anxious about the safety of milk sharing. Can we talk about that? Why do we think this is ickier than formula? Yeah, I, I like to talk about the ick factor. <laughs> um, you know, when we... Uh, we as a society, the thought of sharing our bodily fluids is not uh, something we're necessarily terribly comfortable with. But when we look back historically over time, we see all kinds of stories in our history about women who have shared milk with other women. I, I love the story of Moses. Uh, and I talk about this often in my presentations, you know, the story of Moses is Moses was born and his mother put him in a basket in the river and he was found by the princess or the Pharaoh's daughter. And then she immediately knew she couldn't feed the baby. So she sought out a wet nurse or someone to feed her baby. Uh, and she ended up with Moses's mother. So it was one of those situations where she thought she, the, the Pharaoh's daughter thought she was a wet nurse, but really she was the baby's mom. But it, but it just proves that 
from the dawn of time, almost every religious tradition has some story of milk sharing uh, or wet nursing in it. So this idea is nothing new. And I think culturally, we have gone through different phases of this this ick factor that we talk about. How, how do I feel about sharing someone else's milk? And I think it is important for every family to examine how they feel about that uh, themselves. And milk sharing is not the right choice for every family, but if a family is willing to explore it, there's a couple things that we can look at um, to help us feel a bit more comfortable. Um, and Eats on Feeds, which is one of the organizations uh, online that provides the space for moms to connect or families to connect with each other around milk sharing has provided uh, a, a little visual with some information called the four pillars of safe breast milk sharing. I like to refer to this as the four pillars of safer breast milk sharing because there's always going to be a bit of an unknown there. But their four pillars are this. Number one, informed choice. That the two families coming together on milk sharing are uh, educated and aware of what some of the risks and the benefits of not just milk sharing, but formula uh, use and donor milk that we're gonna talk about later from a milk bank. What are the risks and benefits of all of those and how do those jive with my comfort level and the comfort level of my family? The second pillar of this safe breast milk sharing is donor screening. You know, know thy source. Um, when I have two families that are interested in sharing milk, I often encourage them to do some level of screening. Now, this can be everything from a quick conversation between two families to much more extensive screening. Maybe the recipient family wants to have some sort of um, screening questions answered. Maybe they would like to ask for the donor mom's uh, pregnancy blood work, incre uh, including HIV, HTLV, and a few other things we know can impact breast milk. Um, some families wanna talk about medication use or alcohol use or diet. Um, again, this comes back to this informed choice. Each family has to make sure that they are comfortable uh, with what they are giving and receiving. The third pillar of this safe breast, breast milk sharing is safe handling. We need some assurance that when mom is pumping, she's doing so with um, safe pumping methods that her pump is clean, uh, that she is storing the milk properly either in the fridge or the freezer, and then as it's transported, it's also kept safe. So uh, we can offer some guidelines on that. And then for that family that is like, I've gone through all these, but I'm still a little twitchy about this, we can do some home pasteurization. Um, and there are all kinds of resources online. Home pasteurization was, uh, it, it began being taught um, to families in Africa where the risk of HIV is so prevalent um, and they can do this quick home pasteurization of that milk if a family would like. So all of those things can address um, the safety factor, the ick factor, the how do I know that this milk is safe for my baby. Mm -hmm. One other thing mm -hmm. I want to note and that is um, in most milk sharing situations, the mother who is donating her milk is also feeding her own baby. So I think that there is some reassurance 
um, that that milk is going to another baby and some assumptions on that safety. Now, we have to be careful because there are some um, pathogens and things that can be in milk that can impact one baby over another. For example, I wouldn't necessarily um, advocate direct milk sharing for a baby uh, to receive who is ill in some way or maybe is immunocompromised. Um, but most healthy, full-term babies are going to be able to handle um, breast milk from another family. So in terms of the risks, what you were saying, like what are these things that they people usually consider? You said the pathogens. Is it also chemicals? Um, and how do... You even know, I, I read an article recently that came up of, be careful, is it even human milk that's being shared? Right. right. There have been two um, articles published in pediatrics in the last, uh, one was about a year ago and one here just recently that came out of uh, Columbus, Ohio. Both of those papers were published uh, using the same data. One looked at the bacteria level in milk that was received, and one looked at the make of that uh, of that milk. Was it actually human milk or was it cow's milk? We do have some concerns about how that study was tested or how that study was performed. Um, they were uh, receiving milk only from donors who wanted to be completely anonymous. And they were also receiving that milk uh, to a PO box where some of the milk sat for several days with no cooling. Um, and, and they were also paying for the milk. So each of those things brings in some additional factors. So while the overall questions are extremely important. Um, I am concerned with some of the conclusions that were brought in those papers. But um, just to go back just a little bit, there are some risks with, with milk sharing. We do know that there are certain um, viruses and other stuff that we wouldn't want uh, in our milk that could impact our baby. For example, I mentioned you know HIV, hepatitis B and C, um, HTLV. We do know that bacteria can sometimes impact milk, and this uh, could be a factor with poor handling techniques. Uh, we could get, get salmonella um, or group B strep can be present in milk. Um, again, we have to be aware and careful. Those things can also be present, you know, at times in formula. So um, also we need to be aware of other things that could be present in the milk that could not be good for our babies, alcohol, illegal drugs, some over-the-counter and prescription medications, and even some herbal supplements. And um, it's also important to consider in this, one risk I think of milk sharing is what I call inappropriate relationships. Is a donor feeling pressured? Is a recipient feeling pressured? Um, are friends and family weighing in in a way that's not appropriate that makes a milk sharing relationship um, less than altruistic as we hope it would be? So I am not a doctor. So mm -hmm. I cannot mm -hmm. dig in super duper deeply into all of these things, but there are some great resources um, out there. Um, trying to pull up real quick. I believe Human Milk for Human Babies has a great guideline document uh, that can also be helpful. Again, there is no guarantee that milk sharing will be completely safe. There is always going to be some level of risk we have to compare that risk to what our other options are. For example, I will later today go out and get in my van. 
there is intrinsic risk in me getting into a moving motor vehicle, but there are things I can do to limit that risk. For example, I'm going to put my seatbelt on. I'm going to follow the traffic rules. I'm going to be aware of the environment around me. And even though milk sharing carries some inherent risk, I think there are things that we can do to limit that risk. And this comes back again to screening questions, asking for blood work um, from mom, possibly that home pasteurization, things that we can do to decrease that amount of risk. Okay. So let's walk, let's walk through a little bit of that. Say I am a mom, can't breastfeed, and I'm looking to get human milk for my baby. Where do I start? And I know that I want to minimize risk and I, I've read the articles and I want to, you know, make sure minimize bacteria and pathogens and viruses. What's my first step? I think your very first step is consider all the people that you know directly that you have close, enduring friendship relationships with? Is there anyone in your life that you spend time with on a regular basis? You are aware of their lifestyle, you know their spouse or their partner, you um, can see how, obviously, you can't always know someone's health status, but are there general things about their lifestyle that make you go, I feel comfortable with the milk that they would produce? I think it's always important that we start in our own communities when we are looking for milk before we start going, say, online and asking for um, donors that we've never met before. So I always tell people, let's start first in our community. Let's see what resources there are around us. Then we can move online. Um, we know that some wonderful, beautiful, amazing milk sharing relationships have been started online. Um, there are a number of groups I've mentioned already, Eats on Feets and Human Milk for Human Babies. Now, these groups are not brokering milk exchanges. They are not saying, Mom A, you need to check out Mom B. They are simply providing a space for families to find each other. Um, and then to begin to build relationships. But I think it's, uh, if, if I were milk sharing today, if I were gonna receive milk for my own children today, I would first check in my community and then I would probably move to one of these online groups. Once I found someone that had some milk to share, I would ask a fairly extensive lifestyle question um, you know, kind of survey or evaluation, I wouldn't want to know a little bit about their diet, especially if the reason I was seeking milk was that my baby was uh, not tolerating my own milk or formulas because of allergy issues. I would ask about medications. Uh, I would ask about smoking and alcohol. We know that some alcohol uh, is totally fine for breastfeeding moms, um, but I would want to make sure that it wasn't excessive or could be entering the milk in a way I wasn't comfortable with. Then I would ask mom for a copy of the blood work that she had during pregnancy. Most moms during their pregnancy have a very extensive workup um, that can give us a lot of information and kind of rule out some things. I would also talk to her about her collection techniques. How often does she pump? Where does she pump? What does a pumping session look like? How quickly is she able to get it in the fridge? At what point would it go into the freezer? How long has the milk been in the freezer? Uh, some of those kind of questions. And then I, I don't know if I would do at-home pasteurization or not. 
I'm not sure. I don't Tell me a little bit more about that because um, so let's talk about the benefits and the and and not risks, but what are the negatives of home pasteurization and how is it done? I am gonna do my good old Google here because I don't know all the details right off the bat. And I got to tell you, uh, the first Google uh, resource I got was from Eats on Feets. Um, and they have a great page uh, called uh, How Can Breast Milk Be Pasteurized at Home? So eats on resources.org and then search for How Can Breast Milk Be Pasteurized um, at Home? And this was, again, as I mentioned before, um, research and guidance that was given, uh, it started by being given in African countries uh, for HIV positive mm-hmm. mothers. Mm-hmm. And let's look at the details here. Um, Always wash all of your utensils first. Put the milk that has been expressed in a heat-resistant glass jar, not a plastic jar, so like a mason jar. And the amount of milk should be between 50 mLs and 150 mLs. So that's a little over an ounce to about five ounces, not more than five ounces. If you have more than that, you want to divide it into two jars. Place the jar of milk in a small pan of water. Make sure the water is about two fingers above the level of milk so that all the milk will be heated well. Heat the water on a very hot fire. Again, this was for probably resource poor um, communities or the highest level your, that your stove will go until it reaches a rolling boil when the milk has, uh, when the water, excuse me, has very large bubbles. Stay close beside. This would only take a few minutes. We don't want to let it boil too long. And then you remove the jar of milk from the boiling water immediately after the water comes to a boil and place the container in uh, cool water and let it cool until it reaches room temperature. And then once you do that, uh, you can put it back in the fridge. So it's a little like boiling an egg Uh in that you Uh start it cold, you bring the temperature up, and then once it's boiling, you remove it and cool the milk. So we call this flash heating. Um, And there's a great video from the UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Um, If you Google flash heating, um, and they can show you that there. So uh, again, an option for families if they would like to use it. I will say I don't know a lot of milk sharing families who are doing at home pasteurization. Anytime we heat breast milk, we're going to lose a little bit um, of certain immunofactors and nutrients. Again, I think it's still significantly better than our other options out there for some families. Um, But when we do pasteurization, you are going to lose just a bit. So you lose some of the nutrients, but you are also getting rid of possible bacteria. Are you getting rid? What are are the risks that you're getting rid of? Like the point of doing the the flash heating? You know, I I know it gets rid of HIV. I'm trying to look at the other. And uh, another thing um, that is a risk is HTLV. And I know that that one um, can be killed off by being the milk being frozen. So a lot of families will request that the milk be frozen um, when they receive it versus fresh um, from from the fridge. I'm going to ask people just because I, I'm not super technical in all this to definitely um, do some research on these on these pathogens that are um, that are killed with pasteurization. 
and okay. and freaking both. And it's part of their due diligence that they have to do anyway if they're looking to really know what they're going to screen and why they're screening it and how to screen it. Absolutely. I think the biggest factor in milk sharing is that you got to know what you're walking into. You have to educate yourself and you have to be aware. I think sometimes we just go, oh, breast milk is so wonderful, rainbows, unicorns, and all this stuff, <laughs> and don't always consider that, um, that there can be that there can be some risk. You know, we have some real interesting kind of conflicting messages about breast milk in our society, right? We hear breast is best. We hear all the time about how wonderful breast milk is. And we, um, you know, it'll, it'll keep your baby healthy. It'll keep you healthy and you should breastfeed at all costs. And then on the flip side, we have fairly ineffective breastfeeding support in this country. So it put a lot of pressure on moms to breastfeed their babies and then don't always provide the level of support they need. And then some of our messaging around milk sharing is, ooh, ick, you know, it might kill all the babies. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think that is good either. Um, so I really encourage families to dig in, look at what resources are out there, um, and especially these ones that come from Eats on Feets and Human Milk for Human Babies, I feel like they've done um, a really good job. Read the studies yourself. Decide for yourself what you and your family are comfortable with. And what about the option of getting milk from milk banks? I big, sparkly, pink heart milk banks. <laughs> <laughs> I really have such incredible respect and care for um, nonprofit milk banks. All uh, We are currently developing a bank here in Pittsburgh called the Three Rivers Mothers Milk Bank. We are opening this summer and we are crazy excited. Um, and what makes that so special and I think what makes it relevant to this conversation is that primarily Milk from nonprofit milk banks is going to our most critically ill babies in the NICU. Uh, typically, these babies who are 36 weeks and under, who are receiving donor milk as a means of medication and not just nutrition. We have a desperate need for donors. We cannot meet the demand in this country for donor milk in our NICUs, and we need to. Because for these babies, receiving donor milk is can literally make the difference between the baby living and dying. So our focus is on kind of the, uh, to excuse the phrase, the biggest bang for our buck. When we are talking about donor milk, how can we have the most significant impact on the health of babies? Um, and so that milk is really going to be funneled to those critically ill babies. Relevant to this conversation, most of the families that are going to consider, you know, what's right for me, milk sharing, donor milk, formula, all these options are probably not the families who are currently in the NICU receiving donor milk. There is a very limited supply of donor milk that is available within the community from nonprofit milk banks. So while it is total awesome sauce, it is primarily going to those really ill babies. I think we will see an increase in the amount of milk available within the community for families um, 
from nonprofit milk banks as we move forward, as awareness of donor milk builds and we can build our base of families who are willing to donate their milk uh, to milk banks, I, I think it will become a more viable option for a lot of families. There is significant cost involved. Um, donor milk has to be processed, uh, pooled, processed, and pasteurized for these critically ill babies, and that doesn't come cheaply. Um, we just bought our two pasteurizers for our milk bank, and I was having some sticker shock. I thought we could have bought a couple cars for the, <laughs> for the coffee. <laughs> pasteurizers. So it doesn't come cheaply, although I will assure you uh, that every milk bank I has, have worked with um, are seeking very significantly to make their processes more efficient and drive costs down to make milk more accessible. But most milk banks, um, if, if someone in the community is able to access milk from the milk bank, you're looking at between $3.50 and $4 an ounce not an insignificant amount of money. I know when Neil Patrick Harris um, and his husband had mm -hmm. their twins mm -hmm. some years ago, he was on, I believe it was David Letterman or one of those late night shows. And he talked about uh, getting uh, donor milk for the twins and how much it costs. And I thought, oh, heavens, if Neil Patrick Harris can't afford it, ain't nobody going to afford it. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you're talking a full, a full term healthy baby, and maybe mom has insufficient glandular tissue, maybe she has some other health need that has impacted her milk supply, maybe breastfeeding got off to a terrible start and we didn't get the foundation laid, we need to. There are any number of reasons that um, a healthy full term baby might be in need of milk, um, but they're taking between, you know, 24 and 26 ounces a day. Multiply that times $4 and, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't really have $100 a day to spend. Um, for those families that can, often if it's a very short-term need, maybe we need a little bit of supplementation just to get us through a crisis and get our own milk supply back where it needs to be. Um, it can be a viable option for some and I was going to ask you about that because I'm, I was reading through your website and also um, that you can feed the, the donor milk through devices that allow baby to be stimulating your breast at the same time and then that can up your supply. So that would be a way to like sort of fix your problem or solve your problem. Absolutely. When I was working um, in a clinic, I had to come to terms with the fact that our birth practices in this country have a significant impact on what happens in breastfeeding afterwards. And I was seeing mom after mom after mom who had either had a traumatic birth or something didn't go the way she wanted, or there was some intervention that impacted her milk supply in some way and maybe we had a delay in that milk supply coming in or maybe there was some need for very short-term supplementation can we use supplementation as a means to promote breastfeeding and get breastfeeding backwards going occasionally i have a baby who mom and baby are struggling and baby's caloric intake has been low and so i don't know about you when i don't eat i just get tired lethargic and i don't want to do anything 
Well, that happens with these babies sometimes too. So sometimes very short-term supplementation is what we need to get breastfeeding back to where it needs to be. And I love some of these very ingenious devices. I have a love-hate relationship with them, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. most of the people that have to use them do as well. But I really love being able to get a mom and a baby who are struggling set up with baby at the breast. And then we can slide a small feeding tube into the corner of the baby's mouth. And as baby uh, massages and draws from the breast, they're also drawing that supplement in at the exact same time. We call this a an SNS or a supplemental nursing system. And there are commercial products you can buy or you Did, did we lose you? Are you there? Um, I think I think we have a little uh, technical difficulty. <laughs> technical hiccups. Um, yeah. uh, just to pick up where we were talking, uh, that there are a number of these sort of devices. You can buy them commercially um, from different companies, or you can rig your own with a feeding tube um, and a bottle, and we can use these really to get us back to our goal of feeding directly from the breast by the baby and the mom. Um, And sometimes families feel like if I have a need to supplement, that's the end of breastfeeding, that it has to be one or the other. Um, And I want families to know that often, often, all the time, (laughs) um, supplementation can be very short-term while we get us back to where we need to be. And can I say how much I love the resourcefulness and creative creativity of lactation consultants because and birth professionals in general because there's always how can we make this work how can we how can we figure it out and mothers as well right because yeah. it's all about that love for your child and the bonding and giving your child the best that you can and you stand on your head if that makes baby flip and um, not be breathed. You you do whatever you need. You know, I recently did an online chat discussing um, breastfeeding for moms with very large breasts and what are some of the tips and tricks. And I have to tell you, I, I came away with this. Lactation consultants are really creative, but I think they're creative because moms are creative uh-huh. and families uh-huh. are creative. And the things families have figured out or come up with the the tips and the tricks and the you know the devices and and how they make it work like I just get so I get so inspired um, and I just I also am always trying to figure out how to come up with solutions for families that aren't going to cost them a lot of money. Yes, um, yeah. because I can certainly have you go spend sixty five dollars on a supplemental nursing system that's like there in the package and you just open it up and use it. Or we can spend a couple dollars and rig one ourselves. And, you know, especially, not especially in the United States, this is a reality all over the world, but in the United States where our maternity leave practices leave a lot to be desired. You know, I think of the families I know where mom is at home and she's on maternity leave, but she's not getting paid. And um, having a new baby can be such a financial risk. And so I think that leads to some of this creativity of, of the how do we serve families as a whole? I don't want to just come in there and look only at the breastfeeding. And I know, you know, doulas are so brilliant about this as well. But the how do I look at the whole picture? How do I see what's really going on and provide the kind of su- support um, that families need? 
I love what I get to do. Mm -hmm. Me too. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So wrapping up, because the time is ticking, um, I wanted to leave how, if somebody wants to donate, if they happen to be that mom that has an abundant supply and they're listening to this and want to become a donor, um, how can they do that? You know, I love donor moms. I love donor moms. And I, you know, I went to a workshop just last night about how to run a great crowdfunding campaign, you know, Kickstarter, Indiegogo. And I was sharing some stuff about the milk bank in this workshop. And when I was done, as happens all the time, this woman was in the back. She's like, I was here, you know, to learn for my own organization, but oh my goodness, I'm moving in three days and I have a freezer full of milk. What do I do with it? How do I get it to somebody that needs it? My first response is always, please don't pour it down the sink. Someone needs your milk. Um, But if you are interested in donating, I would love for people to first consider donating to uh, Hambana uh, Nonprofit Milk Bank to consider that process first. It is not the right fit for everyone who wants to donate, but we have such a desperate need for donors in in milk banking. And we know that that milk goes to these critically ill babies. So the process for donors um, to nonprofit milk banks is you're going to want to go to hembana.org, H-M-B-A-N-A.org. That's short for Human Milk Banking Association of North America. Find on their list which milk bank is closest to you. Now, you don't have to be in the same community because most of those banks provide um, the materials uh, for you to ship the milk to them at no cost to you. Um, so, So contact the bank that's closest to you. They will take you through their screening process, which is a number of questions and a blood test and then uh, they can get you on the road. Most banks are going to have a minimum donation of 100 ounces, which feels like a million, I know, when you first think about it. Um, But by doing an ounce or two every day in less than two months, you can get that um, 100 ounces and be ready to send that off. Uh, They do have restrictions. Again, because they are feeding the most critically ill babies, they have to have more restrictions on donors than Um, other options might have. Um, And so there are certain medications, herbal supplements, uh, that they're not going to be able to accept milk uh, that has come from moms who are on those things. So they can walk you all the way through that. If that process is not the right process for you, um, I encourage families who have milk to donate to reach out in their own communities. If you're involved in a breastfeeding support group, you might speak up or there's a Facebook group and just say, I have this. Is there anybody that is in need um, of this? And then you can also move to some of those online groups like Human Milk for Human Babies or Eats on Feets where uh, check out their Facebook pages. You're just going to want to pay attention to their um, their guidelines and uh, watch for a little bit and see how people post uh, donations. Those groups typically have uh, way more donors Uh, then they have people that need milk. Um, And so sometimes that milk doesn't get out the door quite as quickly as we would like it to, uh, but keep trying. I'm a big believer that human milk is not a finite resource, that we would have enough for everybody who needs some if everyone would just be willing to share those that can. Um, So I love me some milk donations. Yeah, and that makes me think of, I think it was last year, what was it, that Salma Hayek went to Sierra Leone and she was breastfeeding her child and, and ended up wet nursing another child. Do you know, do you remember this at all? 
I do. And I want to say that her story also included that maybe her grandma was a wet nurse in her village. There was some other connection um, in her story. Someone in her family or in her, her history had spent time sharing her milk with other people. I love the stories I hear from people who say, oh, my grandma was in Italy and she fed all the babies. There's a great new documentary that has just premiered called Milk. And mm -hmm. Naomi Weiss mm -hmm. is the uh, director. And I had the chance to preview it. And it was astounding. And there's this great scene at the end in the Philippines. And this one woman talks about having fed hundreds of babies. You know, I think it also is important in some of those situations. I mean, I think we can all acknowledge that uh, there have been times in our history, both in the United States and around the world, where wet nursing was not necessarily by choice. Mm -hmm. uh, that women were forced into it through slavery or some other means. And so there are some parts of it that are really challenging. Um, but in general, uh, in a lot of cultures, it's been an altruistic uh, way to share with the community what the babies need. Again, to refer back to my trip to Papua New Guinea, it's extremely, extremely common for um, someone, if a mother is sick or mother dies in childbirth, that someone else would come alongside and feed that baby. Now, typically that's happening in their culture directly at the breast, um, but it's not taboo within that culture to receive the milk of another mother. Right. Um, right. So it's, it's fascinating, but Salma Hayek sure got a whole lot of flack back um, about that. And, and she was, was like, the baby had a need and I could meet the need. So why not? Indeed. Because at the end, all we're doing is trying to help those babies and trying to help those mamas and trying to help everyone be healthier. <laughs> Just, I feel like, okay, we need to close with rainbows and unicorns here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Amber. I have seen so many, so many beautiful, enduring relationships built around milk sharing for the moms that feel desperate and they don't know where to turn and someone comes to them with this incredible gift for their child. I mean, that kind of connection in the world is so rare and it's so wonderful to just get to witness that and go, there is so much good in this world. Thank you so, so much for being a part of that good in the world and helping out and, and sharing your knowledge about milk sharing and milk banking. And I wish you so much, all the best with the milk bank that you guys, the three, it's three rivers, right? Three rivers, mother's milk bank in Pittsburgh. And I work with an incredible team and it's going to be so fun. Yay. <laughs> so if at least if listeners can um, want to, get in contact with you how can they do that oh please 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 shoot me an email um i love to answer questions from families i love to point people to resources my mom always says you have the gift of connect i like making sure people get connected with what they need so shoot me an email amber at ambermccann.com that's a-m-b-e-r at a-m-b-e-r-m-c-c-a-n-n dot com and I would love to connect with you um, 
ambermccann.com is my website and has all the links to my Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that on there. You know, I'm one of those who's, who, who is uh, constantly connected. So I love to hear from people and glad to help you get what you need. Do that, people. Connect with Amber. She will answer back. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for being here today, sharing your knowledge, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter. And even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive goodies. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.